Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Sports Desk Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Ballantyne, and joining me, of course, is my good friend, Jacob Nilsson. Jacob, go ahead, say hello. Hello, people. How we doing this fine Thursday morning? As we record this, we are gearing up for Utah State basketball to begin here in just a few hours. Didn't really work out with us both you know, having to be at the game and things like that didn't really work out for us to get that game in before we recorded the show, which we really would have liked to. So by the time you listen to this, Utah State basketball will have already played full game, which is a sweet, sweet thing. It's actually a fine Wednesday afternoon right now when we're talking, but that's true. But that's all right. Yeah, but the world's going to change by tomorrow because yeah. Utah State, I know it's just an exhibition, but I'm so excited here with Coach Odom, the world's going to be different. Yeah. not only like a new head coach but like a, almost a completely different team we lost eight guys from the squad last year three of them were starters so it's it's a new era of utah state basketball luckily for the fans and for us and the media and things uh continued success is kind of the story here at utah state so we've had down years but those have been the exception not the rule so hopefully we uh, we move into this new era of continued success, which is the story, um, not just part of the story, but the entire story. So, um, well, I guess with that, we're already talking about hoops. Let's jump in. We can talk about some some basketball now that it is back. We will talk about football, of course, as well, as we are right in the middle of the season, um, really starting to gear up for the, the last stretch of the season, which is crazy. It feels like the football season was just barely beginning. And what a ride it has been so far for that Utah State football team. Um, before we jump in and keep uh, keep talking basketball, any notes to open up the show, Jacob? Anything else going on on campus? Yeah, we'll bring up the, the soccer team, women's soccer team. They uh, they won two games in a row last week. Unfortunately, they weren't able to play at the Bell at the home field because it was super wet from all the rain. Bless up, getting rain. I saw a That's tweet. True. It's like we're like three inches of rain in October, which is some sort of record. For the 21st century. Yeah, so. we need that. We need that rain. What's up? Anyways, they qualified for the end of season Mountain West Conference tournament, which I believe is six teams, but don't quote me on that. That isn't a report. That's just me guessing mostly. Just sheer speculation. Sheer speculation. <laughs> but right now they are third in the conference with one final regular season game to play, and then they will play in the tournament in Boise. So that'll be really exciting for them. And then volleyball, they won They've against been on Fresno State. They've yeah. won five in a row. They have a shot of winning the regular season conference tournament. Excuse me, the winning the regular season for the Mountain West. It's a long shot, but if they keep winning, they play enough of the teams ahead of them that they could catch up and do it. So yeah, for them to just be in the conversation is wild. That's really impressive, and I feel like that's. I mean, that's what sports is all about, right? Like, as long as you keep winning, it tends to work out in your favor. Right. Football's kind of looking at the same thing right now, where if they just keep winning, there's really nothing nothing anybody else can do to take away the division from them. So volleyball in a similar situation where, yeah, it's a long shot, but all you got to do is keep winning, which is the goal anyway. So uh, Utah State just continuing to have a killer fall season um, all around, and basketball hasn't even started yet, so... It's been a great year so far for Utah State. Hopefully these winter sports can get going and, and continue the success. I'm really confident in both men's and women's basketball uh, to do so. Really, really just a great time to be an Aggie. Uh, let's jump in and let's talk about some Utah State basketball. Let's, let's, let's talk about it. So 
One question I want to to throw at you right off the top, Jacob, that I've, I've kind of been tossing around in my own head, and I think it's kind of interesting. Um, divisions aren't really a thing in basketball, but if they were, taking a look at the teams, who are your picks for who wins, uh, you know, in each division? Like who's who's gonna who's kind of who are who are the two teams that are kind of gonna dominate this this conference from either either half? Oh yeah, that's an interesting question for sure. I think similar to how things are in football, if there were two divisions that were split the same way in basketball, the Pacific side is looking pretty strong with Nevada and San Diego State, and then Fresno State brings everybody back. Yeah, but the Mountain Division does have Colorado State obviously and they have the Aggies and Boise State so if there were divisions they would be pretty loaded on both fronts I mean the Mountain West is just a loaded basketball conference like especially among mid-majors it's got to be one of the top mid-major conferences for basketball absolutely absolutely in terms of yeah just the quality of coaches and recruits and just overall fan atmosphere all winning teams venues checks the boxes uh, NBA players that go they get drafted. Or, I think we're actually the number one mid-major conference, or have been in the few past years. I'll do more research on that, actually. But I know we've been, we've definitely been up there, I think, with probably the American in terms of NBA draft picks. So, really just a top-tier mid-major school yeah. uh, conference. Yeah, that's saying something, especially when UConn was in the Big East for a while, and, uh, excuse me, they were in the American before they went to the Big East yeah. and Memphis and all that. Anyways, I think that it's, they're not sexy picks they're not surprising picks i think that no hot takes i would say colorado state in the mountain and san diego state in the pacific i agree and i was thinking about that and i think that's probably the best two teams in the in each quote-unquote division if you're going to break it up that way the thing that would make it interesting i mean obviously like i said we don't have divisions in the conference everybody just plays everyone else in the conference twice but if we were to have divisions they'd have to play each other a bunch more which would really complicate things even more but I do think probably the team to beat out west is, as always, the San Diego State Aztecs, and in the Mountain Division would probably be Colorado State this year. It should be a really good year for for Utah or for Mountain West basketball. Absolutely, hopefully multi bid and something interesting today is um, the coaches poll that came out. Three teams in the Mountain West got receiving votes, and can you guess who those three teams were? Um, I actually haven't looked, so that's a great question. My guess would be. I mean, the three projected favorites almost across the board have been San Diego State, Nevada, Colorado State, so that's what I would guess. You got two out of the three correct. Was Nevada wrong? Nope. Really? Nevada was in? Yep. Hmm. Boise, then, would be my other guess. (laughs) Oh, oh, excuse me. Yes, that is. Oh, it was. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was just waiting for you to say something wrong. (laughs) You're right. You were just assuming. Okay. So the three were the three that got receiving votes were Colorado State, Nevada, and Boise State. Okay. Which means San Diego State, who has the highest Ken Palm ranking, they didn't get any receiving votes from coaches. So that's kind of interesting. That's really interesting. I think San Diego State, they have no business not being in the top 25. I mean, they were like a top five team just a couple years ago. They're always in the top 25 so they have no business being outside the top 25 yeah it'd be it'd be great if they can or if colorado state or somebody can get in the top 25 and then be a consistent player in there because i think being in the top 25 says so much just if anything else just like exposure for your conference because you know just like on espn just the the bottom score ticker yeah like it shows the top 25 teams from the ap poll all throughout the season and so that's just if Colorado State's ranked number twenty-four in November, 
like that just brings value yeah, to the I Mountain mean, West. Half their games right? are against Mountain West teams. Well, at, more than half their games are against Mountain West teams. So you're seeing Colorado State versus another Mountain West team, just getting that name out there. Yeah, if you pull out an app on your phone and it shows you college basketball games for a day, the usually it goes straight. You can change it, but it goes straight to the top yeah, 25. Yeah, it defaults right? to the top 25. So if you pull it up in January and Mountain West all of a sudden has two ranked teams, yeah, then you're just seeing these Mountain West matchups. Yep. So that that matters a lot just in terms of exposure and recognition, which is something that is always a concern when you play on the West Coast in a mid-major. Yeah. Well, in the whole – it's so different than football. We talk in football, you know, we could go – Oh, and four out of conference, and I know we have like slight disagreements on this in terms of football. But in football, the conference games are so much more important. The non-conference games are so much less important because there's no such thing as a bubble team in college football. You're either in or you're out. You're either bowl eligible or you're not. And then you know, there's obviously when it comes to getting a bowl invitation, that resume matters. But in college basketball, it's a completely different ball game especially, as you alluded to, being a West Coast basketball team where New York media members don't want to – they don't want to stay up and watch us play at 3 in the morning. They barely give the Pac-12 Yeah, they barely credit, give the Pac-12 let any alone love. the mid-major So a mid-major – I mean, the Mountain West is just one giant bubble conference, which is unfortunate because there's been times when the Mountain West was a four-bid league with only eight teams in the conference. I mean, there's been times when – the Mountain West quite literally sent half of its teams to the NCAA tournament, and you know it's it's tough that we haven't really been getting that love lately. And like you said, it's just it's the curse of the mid-major, especially being out west where no one wants to stay up and watch us play. So anybody that gets into the top twenty-five, it matters a lot more in basketball because we need people to pay attention to us. We need those resume-building wins outside of and inside of the conference. Yeah, building off your point, so when. Utah State, they go to Annapolis to play in that Veterans Classic or whatever, and they play yeah. Richmond, yep. a team from the A-10 that's bringing everybody back. It's on ESPNU, I believe. That game's going to matter. Like That is a big game that they they got to win, really, if yeah. we're being honest. Yeah. And we can say this is kind of when we talk about like football versus basketball, this is the great thing about basketball is reality is there's, there's a bar that you can only reach so high when it comes to football being in the Mountain West and just the disparity between the haves and the have-nots in college football just makes it yeah. that we're not really in the same league as a lot of other teams, right? And so there's no – the ceiling is, like, winning the Mountain West Conference, and that's yeah. incredible. And, and that's enough. Like, that's, and that's, the, enough. that's the goal. Yeah. And that's a very acceptable and reasonable goal, but there's no, there's no, like, realistic opportunity to have anything more than that. Yeah. And for basketball – the goal is the NCAA tournament, but that's like the tippy top that you want to be in, yeah. and that's the sky's the limit. If you get in the yeah. NCAA tournament, yeah, and it's yeah, like exactly. you can have that dream of oh man, like let's win a couple of games. Yeah, I mean it's it's all the same tournament. So to get to the tournament, even beyond that, getting to the Sweet Sixteen or Elite Eight, once you're in, it's not really out of the picture. I mean it's possible. But for Utah State, we talked about it before the season when we were kind of setting expectations. Utah State's had a, a, a phenomenal season so far. Nothing short of historic. It's been, I mean, honestly, if you haven't been paying attention, if you're disappointed in anything in this team, like, I just, I feel for you. Like, this has been such an amazing year so far. But even if we would have won against BYU and Boise State, if we were undefeated right now, it would still be out of the question to talk about being in the college football playoff. It's just a different world in college football. 
But in college basketball, it's all the same tournament. So it's it's a little it's a completely different dynamic. And so getting, you know, our goal in the Mountain West is just not just you know, our goal in the Mountain West is to win a Mountain West Conference championship and to play in and win a bowl game. And like you said, those are completely acceptable goals. But that would be, you know, I don't know. It's just different. In, the ba- in, in basketball, it's like our goal is to get to the NCAA tournament. That's the same goal as the Blue Bloods. That's the same goal as Duke. Exactly. Where Alabama, they don't want to just make it to a bowl game. A bowl game for them is disappointing. You know, they want to be in the college football playoffs. So it's different, and that's kind of goes into what we were talking about. These out-of-conference games matter. Um, resume matters. Having people pay attention to you matters. In football, it's real fun. We want Nevada – Fresno, we want those guys to be in the top 25, Air Force. But in basketball, we need that. We need somebody to get some big wins and get in the top 25 to make the rest of us look good. Yeah. Yeah, very well put. And Utah State, going into our exhibition game against Western Montana, there's just so many There's so many question marks, and every, every team has this year in, year out. You, you start with a blank slate. Utah State in particular, we already, we already mentioned it. A really high turnover um, from a brand new head coach. Three starters are gone, so we're going to have to bring in uh, new starters. Eight guys that were on the squad last year uh, will not be this year, and even including Alfonso Anderson, who was a utility guy, huge playmaker, um, ice in his veins. We, I think, we a lot of us took Fonz for granted a little bit. Um, he was very reliable. And so we're just playing without a lot of the guys that we've been so used to. I mean, this is the first time in a long time we haven't had a kid named Sam Merrill, Mimi Escada, or Jalen Moore on the team. You know, it's been it's been a really long time. And, and we have Justin Bean kind of bridging that gap too. So I think, I think Justin Bean is kind of going to be the anchor probably. But other than Justin Bean, there's not going to be a lot of familiar familiar names on this on this team. Well, you got it bring up Brock Miller because he's yeah he's yeah, been Brock, around for yeah, as long as Brock Justin Miller as well yeah and he's been a starter for I think his whole career yeah here. um yeah Brock Miller and even some of the guys that did get significant playing time uh Stephen Ashworth from last year uh mm-hmm. returned and, and came back this year so there there are going to be some familiar names but uh, I mean it's it's going to be about as different as you can possibly get um let's actually let's go and get those names out there let's just go over the new guys because uh, uh, anyone who's been watching Utah State basketball will recognize some of those uh, older names uh, like Steve Nashworth and Sean Barristow. So let's just go through the new guys, um, and we'll just get those names out there, sure. and we'll start talking about um, some of the different guys on the team. Yeah, so we first guy, Landon Brenchley, return missionary from Ridgeline, and then Travis Wagstaff, teammate of Rylan Jones, return missionary. He's on the team now. And then you got Brandon Horvath and R.J. Edelrock coming from UMBC with Ryan Odom. you got Cade Potter who's also a return missionary. Then you got Connor Gillis, who's a walk-on coming from North Carolina. You got Co- Connor Odom, the son of Coach Odom, a walk-on. Then Ryland Jones coming from the U. You got Norbert Thelissen. He's from Denmark, never played at the U, committed there, but then switched coming to Utah State. And then you got Zihamoda from Baharan and a prep school in Maine. And then, yeah, those are all the those are all the new guys on the team, cool. which is a mouthful. Yeah, it's a mouthful. Like, like we've said, like there's a ton, a ton of – turnover and that doesn't have to be a bad thing especially for an established program like this one where we've had generations at this point of elite basketball we've had 
uh, success in almost every conference, in, in every single conference we've played in, at least for the past few generations. So uh, turnover isn't necessarily a bad thing. Change isn't a bad thing. So those are the, those are the new guys. Um, two, of the, two of the notable ones, Brandon Horvath and RJ Adarok coming from UMBC joining uh, Ryan Odom. Um, those will probably be injected directly into the starting lineup, yep. I would assume. Um, probably joining Justin Bean, and I don't think anyone's going to be taking Brock Miller's spot. Um, and if I had to guess, it'd probably be Rylan Jones as that other starter. That is an interesting lineup because if you look at that lineup, there's not really a true center. In fact, if you look at the positions as they're listed on utahstateaggies.com, I think there's only like two or three true centers on the entire team. And so that, to me... I know there's a lot of people that, you know, you know that old-fashioned way of thinking of basketball, thinking one, positions one through five, and I'm not super into that, especially coming off of a year, uh, two, three years, really, with Nimi Keita as your center. When you lose somebody like that, you're not going to replace him. So I kind of, I like the idea of just playing different instead of trying to replace Keita. You're not going to, and so I think... A lot of those guys that were used to playing with Kata, like how, how does Justin Bean and how does Brock Miller start playing with the center who just isn't Nemius Kata? And that's not anything against our centers that we have, but they're just not Nemius Kata. I think it's better to just probably shift up that whole offensive and defensive scheme. We do still have seven footers on team. We have guys that are more of a true center, um, Zapala coming back and uh, Trevin Dorius. So we still have that option, but I do think it's going to be. I mean, it's going to look completely different. We're not running our offense through a seven-footer anymore. We're not we're not relying on a seven-footer to just, you know, help side defense from everywhere on the court. So it's going to be very, very different. And I I like that. I know a lot of people will look at that and think, well, who's replacing Kata? Nobody. That, that's the point. So I, I like that it's, it's going to look different because it just, at the end of the day, it has to. Yeah, and, yeah, it's going to look extremely different. And one of the big things is, Everybody has a bigger responsibility now because last year the defense was one of the best in the nation and other guys besides Nimi deserve credit for that. Like Marco Anthony, who was an incredible on-ball defender. But he for, was. The, yeah. for the most part, Nimi just bailed guys out. Yeah, for, he, he really did. And something also about last year was they weren't a high turnover ratio team. They didn't force a ton of turnovers per possession. Nope. They rebounded like nobody's business. Field goals of of opponents um, they did not have good percentages but they didn't force turnovers and so that's something that has to change with this team this year is they need to force more turnovers and translate those into easier buckets the other way and with the personnel that they have in the starting lineup and then some of the other guys that will be coming in I think that it's a more it's a roster it's a group that is more prone to forcing turnovers I think so slithery Ryland Jones that can poke the balls away and in the starting lineup, at least how the starting lineup is going to start. Horvath and Bean, neither are traditional centers. They're both forwards. Horvath's even like a 3 and D type of guy. Like he barely even plays in the post at all. And so those guys are, they're guys that can move out in space with versatility. And hopefully if there's not a ton of height in terms of seven footer dudes, there's length in that starting lineup and speed. And then that, can create turnovers so that's a yeah. big thing that this defense needs to have that last year's didn't 
I just pulled up the numbers really quick. Um, they were 130th last year in turnover percentage with 19.5% of possessions they forced to turnover, which isn't terrible, but 130th if you're trying to be a consistent NCAA tournament team, you got to be a lot better. When your adjusted efficiency on defense was eighth last year in the nation, and then you're 130th in turnover percentage, that is kind of incredible. Yeah. That just shows yeah. how effective Nimi was at everything else. Yeah. If they weren't a great tur- team at forcing turnovers and they still were that efficient, efficient Nimi, on defense. Nimi is everywhere in the numbers. If you look at Utah State the past three years and then compare it to years before, if you look at Nimi and the other teams around in the Mountain West, Nimi is absolutely everywhere in the numbers. And, and to your point, I think those turnovers are going to have to increase because those possessions are going to have to come from somewhere. Um, if you just look at possessions, um, I'm not sure what the average in college is, but in the NBA, a possession is on average worth 1.1 points, and you got to get those possessions. So it was easy last year because we were getting defensive rebounds to take possessions back. We were getting offensive rebounds to extend a, uh, extend a possession, and we didn't really have to get turnovers. I mean, if, they, if we were a team last year that forced turnovers, we would have won every game by 50 just because we'd be extending possessions till we score and then giving the other team only one shot to score and making them score their average rather than just shoot their average. And so I think this team is going to be one that they're going to have to find a, find a way to play without Kata, and I think they're going to. Um, Coach Odom... I think I've looked at his numbers at UMBC. He gets the most of his guards, and this is more of a guard-heavy lineup. Um, it's it's a lineup that I think will be very friendly to the analytics, and you know the, the that that new new age way of looking at basketball. Of course, there's Noah Ralby who was hired on as a director of uh, analytics for the Utah State basketball team. Um, he's the only one of that kind in the state in the conference. No one else really has that, so. I think it does speak to Coach Odom's uh, style of play, and so I think you're going to see um, a pretty strict divide of like these younger uh, younger fans that are more into that style of basketball are going to really like it, and if you're more into that old-fashioned way of, of basketball, uh, it might be a little a little bit jarring to you because it is going to be probably like you said, three and D, very analytical. That's going to be completely different because we don't have to just rely on so I think it's going to be guard heavy um, and I think that that bodes well for guys like Stephen Ashworth who will probably have an increased role not only because he's older and better this year but also because his entire position group that whole guard group will be called on to score a lot more uh, on the defensive end they're going to have to step up a lot uh, like you said cause turnovers wreak havoc uh, harass the ball uh, lock down that perimeter so it's going to be uh, it's going to be more of a guard heavy game that we are going to witness not only because we lost one of the best centers in basketball history at Utah State, but also because that's what our new coach is into, and that's what our roster is is capable of doing too. Um, the one thing you don't want to do in college basketball is try to force something that, that isn't there with your roster. We have some really talented guards on this roster, and I'm I'm expecting to see them take an increased role on both offense and defense. Well, also the the roster is by design; it's not by happenstance. The way it is guard heavy with the way they want to play. Ryland Jones. He told Jake Ellis, one of our staff writers, and then Nate Dixon, one of the assistants, told me this as well, that one of the big reasons Ryland came back to Logan besides that this is hometown and he's yeah. an Aggie-blooded kid is he loved Coach Odom's style of play. Very guard-heavy, up and down the court. That's exactly how Ryland wants to play. 
and it's gonna make him look really good. It's gonna make it's gonna be a really really good lineup for him. And then also RJ has been playing in this system for four years, right, with Coach Odom, and so. Yeah, with the guards, and you got depth because you got Shulga. They were able to convince Shulga to come back when he originally entered the transfer portal. And then, obviously, you mentioned Ashworth and when Bearstow gets healthy. And so, Brock Miller, there's going to be a lot of guards. And hopefully, it creates this quicker pace of play. Last year, last year's team was so methodical, and they almost had to be because they were so great in the half-court defense that they just... That was kind like of their, their goal. Their transition basketball last year was really, really it, bad. It was almost non-existent. They mm-hmm. didn't, they didn't yeah. give up points in transition, but they didn't score in transition. Very half court wise, and then it was completely inside and out. Like if, if they were gonna have success in the half court, it always went through Keta. Now they're gonna have be getting out in space and hopefully shoot. To your point, the analytics, and I don't think that Coach Odom. It lives by analytics, like everything he does. Oh no, he. I mean, he's numbers. told us that he's like. Yeah. I, he told us he's not going to sell the numbers. Sure. So you're, yeah. But you're, you're right. his actions speak towards what the numbers tell us you should do. And yeah, yeah. I think this is a team that just by nature, with all of the guards and the, the pace they're going to play, they're going to be able to get more open looks from deep. Because when you're playing quicker, that tends tends to happen. And when you're playing in the half court you get more earned shots and that's when you kind of have to grit out some Raleigh Wooster mid-range jumpers and these tip backs and floaters. But when you're running and gunning, it's you pass and you're, you got an open shot on the perimeter and you're going to launch it up. And so yeah, I, I, we're I see I a lot more it. of that. Yeah. I love it. It's going to be fun. And, and to your point about coach Odom, he says, I think he's a little bit bashful about how he's going to use analytics because he tells us that he's not going to sell out. And I'm not saying that he has, but like you said, his actions speak louder than words. And so he can tell us all he wants that it won't be the only thing or that it won't be a huge emphasis or whatever. But I mean, he's one of the only coaches in the country to my knowledge that has hired a coach as a director of analytics. And then he built the roster to the best of his ability, just full of shooting guards. So I think his actions have definitely spoken louder than words. And I think, I think he is not selling out to the numbers, but I think that is going to be a huge point of emphasis on this team. And we've, we've seen it. I think the NBA is a few years ahead of college in this aspect. We've seen it in the NBA work really, really well. So I'm excited to see what he can do and, and what Noah Ralby's role will actually be on this team um, in terms of what their offense is going to look like and what they try to do on defense. Last point I'll make really quick, and then we'll move on. But even, even some of the bigs that came in, they have more size on this team than last year take away Keta but besides that like you look at you look at Zihamoda he's six seven and obviously Trevin and Shimon are both seven foot and Norbert's six seven Norbert Horvath and Hamoda those guys are just as big as Justin Mean if not bigger and they're all guys that are shooters as well so it's not even yeah. just the guards it's some of the bigger dudes that will be in the front court as well yeah they can be versatile players everyone's got to be able to shoot yeah. Team. Yep. Yeah, I think you're right. Let's move on to football because sure. I think I mean we could talk about basketball for <laughs> for probably hours. Um, but let's see how this scrimmage uh, plays out. And you know, obviously, there I, I don't I don't expect too much of you know digging into the playbook and things like that. But I think you're you know, but again, football is different than basketball. So I think basketball you're probably going to see them come out use different lineups that they're going to use. Um, 
It's not like a, a playbook in football where you have all these trick plays that you try to keep secret. So I think what we see uh, against Montana Western, by the time this airs, it will have already happened. Uh, we'll be pretty telling about how we're trying to run our offense and defense. Um, so we'll, we'll revisit basketball, but I think that's all we have right now going into the season. Um, so let's talk about football. Uh, real quick, we haven't had a chance to talk, Jacob, really since our interaction on, on the field last week against Colorado State. <laughs> I want to get your, um, you know, what were your impressions at the time? And, like, now that you've had kind of a weekend to just uh, digest that, um, give me a quick rundown of, of your thoughts. I won't I won't dig too much into it myself because uh, if you want my take on it, go ahead and go back and listen to Monday, uh, the Monday morning show. Um, but I do want to get Jacob's input, and, and let's talk about that Colorado State game just a little bit before we move on looking forward to Hawaii. I thought Colorado State was such a physical team. Yeah. On the lines, they just – just totally just beat the crap out of Logan Barr. And that's something that's, that was interesting because our O-line, they've struggled in the run game, but they've actually had decent success protecting Bonner so far this season. Not the case last Friday night. Yeah. And part of that was Bonner's fault too. Like he could have thrown a few of those away. But like for and the most part. And a few of them were, were penalties. True. Too. Like there were, there, I think there were at least two that I can remember that were like late hits and one was reviewed uh, for targeting. So, yeah. But yeah, Logan Bonner took a – absolute beating last night yeah, he or, did. or last week yeah yeah and then credit to the o-line and to Elion noah they were able to run noah had 111 rushing yards yeah that was, that was huge for is so big yeah. that helped set up a lot of those there were two second half field goals that in the end were utah state needed every bit of those yep and the run game helped with a lot of that even for utah or for colorado state on offense i thought that their offensive line was stronger than our defensive line and they were I think so there were yeah. a few possessions where that was really clear but the Colorado State offense got in their way a little bit but then also the Utah State defense just made big individual plays like from Nick Henniger he had he had him and Patrick Joyner like they had yeah. a they had a sack on fourth down and then Byron Bonds had a pass deflection and so just individuals on the defense all just kind of collectively stepped up and it, yeah. they held them to 21 24 points and they fell apart at the end obviously I thought they looked tired maybe also just credit to Colorado State they're just that's it seems like they're a completely different football team than they started the year yeah they but, are yeah I think they, are. they finally kind of figured some stuff out um so I'm really glad you brought up the line kind of both offensive and defensive and uh, it felt to me and it looked to me like I'm I'm on the field when I'm watching this so I have a, a decent view of just the, the size and intensity of these guys, it looked to me like Colorado State was just bigger. And you alluded to that. To me, this is probably the fifth game that I can think of off the top of my head where we were outsized in the trenches. Washington State, not a very good Pac-12 team, but they're a Pac-12 team, Power 5 recruits. Those guys are, are just a little bit bigger. BYU's lines were bigger than ours. Boise State's lines were bigger than ours. I think UNLV had some big, big dudes up front. They did. And Colorado State had some big, big dudes up front, like you're saying right now. And in my mind, I, I think those five games were maybe, maybe if not a huge, significant advantage. I think in some of those games, Boise, BYU, uh, the size advantage was pretty significant. But in five games that I can think of off the top of my head, it seemed like they had a stronger, bigger offensive and defensive line. And we're three and two in those games which to me is really impressive. Usually when you have a smaller line, and like you know, like I mentioned, it, it hasn't been a huge difference. Sure. But 
we've gone up against big dudes up front, and usually when you're going up against a line that's bigger, you lose that game. And so to be three and three and two in games where I feel like we were a little bit smaller up front is really impressive. So I'm glad you yeah. brought that up because that, that's something I was talking about the night of the Colorado State game, but I didn't uh, didn't make the cut on the show. So. And our guys on the lines on offense and defense deserve so much they credit do. because they they, they are a little bit shorter and have a little bit less muscle than some of the guys that they've been matched up to play against and they've held their own they make they make up for they, it they in make, grit and determination yeah and, and they and, hunger. and and there absolutely is talent certainly even on the defensive side there's a lot of talent like it's not like they're just a bunch of like high school bros that are rolling no, out there they're, they're not small yeah. or scrawny or, or bad sure. by any means they're just but they, a little bit the, smaller the opponents there have been some big opponents yeah. and um, I know we're going to circle, we're going to talk about this, but I will just say this Hawaii game on Saturday, they are very similar to Utah State in the sense that they are a speedy team. They're not a very big team. Yeah. I think Utah State is going to beat them to the ground. I think it's a good matchup for you. I State, think that I think. Utah State, they've been eking out all these games. I think they're going to go in and you're the, you're kind of the guy that is glass half full. Like you, <laughs> you are the most yeah. like, I'm going to make a very like Parker prediction here. Utah State wins by two touchdowns plus on Saturday. Okay, I I, I, I can see that. Um, so let's let's go ahead and we'll let we'll we'll get to Hawaii. In just I, one I got second. a little ahead of myself. Yeah, let's. I do want to talk about Hawaii. Obviously, let's circle back and talk about the way that game right. ended against Colorado State because that was chaotic. We can't win a straightforward game against these guys. <laughs> the past four matchups we've had, we either win on a failed hail mary on their end, a missed field goal, or we canceled the game. And then the other one in between those, there was like a, a massive rainstorm. <laughs> yeah, it was a yeah. defensive was touchdown. Logan, from right? Yeah. Yeah. So we can't play a straightforward game against the Rams. What did you see? Just, yeah. What what happened? What was that last play? Well, obviously it was a mistake. And from what Colorado State's coach kind of threw his special teams under the bus for running out there without them being allowed to, which – that in itself is a huge leadership failure that, like, your special teams thinks that they can just go, right? Yeah. But everyone's going to blame, like, oh, like, mismanagement and they should have spiked it. But the reality is Utah State, the way that they played that game there at the end and they were going to run down the clock and unfortunately not get a first down, but then they punted it away. And then to expect Colorado State to go down the field um, starting from, I think it was, what, their 15, 20-yard line, and to yeah. get down the field in the field goal range yeah. without any timeouts and, like, 41 seconds left, extremely irrealistic. And so, in that sense, Utah State almost, they earned the right to... Oh, they certainly did. Yeah. Anybody that's saying, like, Utah State got lucky, I think Colorado State's more lucky that they were able to get down the field and even be in a position for, to get that kick. Exactly. Yeah, and, and I'm glad you brought that up, too, because that is a point that I kind of hit on Monday um, in that show. It's not lucky when we were leading the whole game. We we earned that opportunity to not have to rely on whether it's four years ago a hail mary or whether it's this year or if it's this year a field goal a last minute field goal. When you play the whole game leading your opponent, you're not the lucky one when they miss a last minute field goal. And so I'm glad you brought that up too because Utah State led the whole game. They earned that opportunity to be in a position where they weren't the ones scrambling to kick a last-minute field goal. They were defending that. And, yeah, Colorado State screwed that up. 
they should have, if they would have played their cards right and managed that last play correctly, there's a good chance Utah State loses because um, that was pretty straightforward field goal from not too deep. But Utah State earned that opportunity. They were winning the whole game, and that's that's what you get when you play a game not from behind. So, yeah, to, to your point, you know, I, I, I don't know that I would say Colorado State's lucky to have that opportunity, but luck doesn't have a whole lot to do with it when we were winning the whole game, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah, and even it's interesting because we mentioned how we thought Colorado State was bigger up front, but even with all that, Utah State was the better team. They had better positional players. I thought there's, I thought that Utah State's coaching staff outcoached Colorado State. Yeah. And yeah, well, yeah. they should have they should have put the game away. The yeah. offense should have gotten it together and gotten a second half touchdown, and then we wouldn't be having this conversation. But yeah. that's just kind of how it goes with Utah State season and in this matchup between the Aggies and the Rams. It always yeah. just something I'm weird always happens. I'm excited to see what next year has in store. <laughs> but, but, yeah, that, 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 those are the perks you get when you are winning a game for the whole time. So yep. uh, I'm glad you mentioned that as well. Um, Anything else on that game, or should we just wait till next year to see what what chaos happens? Let's yeah, let's just see okay. what chaos goes down. We'll just next wait till next Collins. year. Well, it's only chaos. No, no, I guess I was gonna say it's only chaos when it's in Logan, but the first one was in was in Fort Collins when, right. it, when it went down. So, so they they started it, and we'll we'll see what they do next year to to one up themselves. Um, let's move on Hawaii. Like we've alluded to, when we were talking about our our line, I think it's a favorable favorable matchup for Utah State. Um, not only because of the size and the personnel, we'll talk about that, but also because Hawaii has to come to Logan. And all else equal, I think Hawaii on the island versus Hawaii on the mainland is completely different. I'm, I'm more confident in our team's abilities. I think we're a good team. But if we were completely equal, I still think we'd probably win this game because it's in Logan. Traveling to Hawaii... We've talked about this a little bit. You and I have talked about it. We, we were texting the other day, and you were saying that Hawaii is a completely different team when they're playing on the rock. And I think there's actually something to that because when you're a team traveling to Hawaii, it's distracting. You're in Hawaii. You're in paradise, and you have to go. got to go to work. you got to go to a football game. got to go play. Um, the flight there is long and burdensome. Even when you're flying private, it's a long flight. Um the jet lag, I mean, the time difference. There's so much, there's such a huge disadvantage when you fly to Hawaii. And it's it's obvious, right? Like, it's not just something we're coming up with. It's so obvious that the NCAA will award you an extra game if you fly out to play Hawaii. <laughs> like, they will, when you, when, when you play Hawaii in Hawaii, the NCAA allows you to play an extra game because it's just so, I mean, it's expensive for the programs, but I think yeah. it's, it's tough on the, on the, the teams, too. Um, but that's exactly reversed when Hawaii comes to the mainland. The time difference is now in our favor. The weather's in our favor. We're not distracted by going to the beach. Um, I don't think that Logan's necessarily distracting for the Rainbow Warriors being here, but we're not the ones that have to go through all that burdensome travel and things. And so that alone, I think the advantage is in our favor. And, like, I, I hate going out to Hawaii. Like, I, I know the guys probably love it, but it makes me nervous every time we go. I'm really glad we have them at home this year. Yeah, I mean, for Hawaii, they, like you mentioned, they have to endure the same travel stuff. They're maybe yeah. a little bit more used to it because every time they play a road game, they got to fly to the continental United States. But, yeah, one, the game's at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, which is 9 a.m. Hawaii time. Yeah. So this is, like, morning for them. Two, 
Logan, Utah in October is really cold. Really cold. Have you been outside? It's cold. It's cold. Yeah. It's going to be cold for Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah, so just those two things right there, and then just looking at Hawaii's performance from when they are at home, they beat Fresno State. Yeah. And yeah. where are they on the road? They just get rolled by – they lost to who, San Jose State? Yeah, they've lost to San Jose State. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it was their most recent game, but recently they lost to San Jose State. Oh, yeah, most yeah. recently they beat New Mexico State. Um, that was in Hawaii, but then their most recent loss was in Reno. As of right now, they they only have one road win. Wait. And that was New Mexico State. No. New, um, wait. Yep. They play New Mexico State yeah. twice this season already. Home and home in one season. Yeah, that is the... That's bizarre. I've never seen anything like that. Yeah, so they, they, they have one road win, and it's at New Mexico State. At home, they beat 18th in the nation Fresno. I mean, it's a completely different team. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm confident for that reason alone. Um, not to mention, I do think we're just the better team flat out. Yeah. Yeah, I think that Utah State, they've had enough of these close games. And that <clears throat> last week, the Colorado State game, that was just two really well-matched opponents, and Utah State should have yeah. um, got run, run away with it. But it, it was really two close teams, I think. Yep. Right now, though, for this game, if Utah State just plays good football, they, they're going to take care of business because th- for the first time, they're gonna, I think their defensive line is going to have an edge against, not for the first time, but the D-line is going to have an edge against the Hawaii offensive line. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully the D-line against USU's O-line, that's more even. And, yeah, Utah State's just going to do their thing. And Hawaii, they're decent in the pass coverage, but they're not like Colorado State was. And yeah. They were still able to pass all over Colorado State to a certain extent. So nothing from what I've seen from Hawaii makes me think that, like, they're going to hold Utah State back from doing what they do and doing yeah. it better than they've done it the past couple of weeks. Yeah, no, I agree. It's it's. I'm not gonna say it's a gimme game. I don't think we have any of those with this Utah State team. <laughs> New Mexico. <They> just <laughs> maybe. Um, Utah State. What they've been doing all year is just playing to the level of their opponent. So when we go in in Las Cruces, we'll just probably look really uh, <laughs> like a lower Lethargic level team. And, and yeah, but but when we go and play against Air Force, we'd put 49 on the scoreboard. Like we've just played to the level of our opponent every game. Um, and so I, I don't think it's a it's a gimme game. Utah State just doesn't have gimme games left. Um, in fact, I, I'll say this statement. I want to know to what level you agree with it, Jacob. I think every single conference game on the rest of the schedule is a trap game to some extent. It's a bold take, Parker. Every game is a trap game. I, I think every single game in the conference is one that you could lose. Hawaii, I, we talked about how Hawaii is better at home, mm-hmm. worse on the mainland. But at the end of the day, they still beat Fresno State. They could beat us. Um, San Jose State isn't having the season they wanted to. They're still reigning champs. Wyoming isn't as good as people thought they were. They still started the season 4-0. and New Mexico beat is, Wyoming. <laughs> yeah, New Mexico beat Wyoming. I mean... I don't know that there's a single guarantee on the schedule, not in conference anyways. I agree with you in the sense that when you're when you control your own destiny and all you have to do is win out to win the division, in that sense, every game kind of is a trap game Yeah. because you're, even if whatever Vegas says, because Vegas seems to hate the Aggies and so does the FPI. Yeah, no The kidding. FPI has them losing to San Jose State and Wyoming still, which no. boggles my yeah, mind. That's, that's ridiculous. That's a, bold, that's a bold take. Yeah, anyways... 
in the sense that Utah State, by like regular thinking people, should be favored in every single one of their games remaining. In that sense, they're all a trap game. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I would. I would say the biggest trap game remaining is San Jose State. I agree. On the road, that game is going to be a grinder. That's probably tougher than we want to admit. Yeah, right that now. one's going to be tough. It's be a tough one. And I would yeah. agree with the Wyoming one. I I don't think that New Mexico. I I don't think that they're just. I don't think they have the talent. I don't, I don't to think they Utah have the State. weapons to beat Utah State. Um, I think you're right. I, I, I yeah, you're you're right. I will say though, Hawaii is still a team. Like I said, they still beat Fresno. Yeah. Um, I'm, they, I'm a lot. I'm really confident about this Hawaii game. I, I think Utah State has a great shot. Yeah. Here's what I'll say. But they've um, already proven they can beat anybody. About Hawaii specifically, Chevin Cordero, their quarterback. He he can run a little bit. He can throw. He's looked awful in some games, but then like the Fresno game, he just has it clicking, and then. Calvin Turner Jr. He's yeah. like they're running back slash he'll they'll throw him out in the slot and stuff too. Yeah, those are two guys that are just weapons, and we've seen guys that are weapons burn the IU defense for big plays. Yeah, such as Shaq here with Boise State. He had that sixty-eight yard reception and run after the catch, right? And so they do have big play weapons, and I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if Hawaii breaks out a touchdown or two against our defense. Yeah, um, and, and that, that's fine. And then when you have a solid enough offense that's going to move the ball, like that's okay to have a few of those slip-ups. Um, yeah, and that's that's a good point too because it seems like the last few games that we've played, um, one of the big criticisms that like somebody was telling me like, oh man, Utah State's defense just loves to make one player, like one running back on their team look like an NFL running back every week. I was like, okay, well, when the running backs you're playing are Tyler Algier and Charles Williams, like, those are NFL running <laughs> yeah. backs. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, Utah State has had this pattern of just this one guy blowing up on them, but it's kind of worked. I mean, if you only let one guy on the team eat, we talked about it. It was, it was the most prominent in that UNLV game where Charles Williams runs for um, – he ran on his own for – 217. 221, 221, and the team was 219. And so if Utah State's just going <laughs> to let one guy eat and the rest of the team is negative, I like that math. And against Hawaii, without a Charles Williams, without a Tyler Algier, I really like that math. So I don't mind the explosive plays. And one thing that Blake Anderson has talked about um, initially early on in the season, he's reiterated it a lot. Um, the first time I remember him talking about it, it was Scotty G who asked the question of um, limiting explosive plays. Um, and Coach Bonda has a similar mindset I'll talk about, but Blake Anderson doesn't care how many explosive plays that we give up as long as we have one more. Tyler Algier had a lot of explosive plays. We couldn't match it. They won. Charles Williams had a lot of explosive plays. Savon Scarver returned a touchdown, you know, so we had we had some explosive plays that went our way as well. We win that game. So we can give up ex- explosive plays. We can give up big plays as long as we can match them, and I think against Hawaii we can match them. Coach Bonda's mindset is that bend-don't-break mentality. He doesn't care about yards. You can let teams run up and down the field all you want, but as long as you don't let them convert to points, you, you're you fine. That's a mindset that I like, too. And against Hawaii, like again, they have playmakers. We can let them rush for as many yards as they want. We can let them pick up as many yards as they want in the air as long as we're matching those explosive plays and preventing them from getting into the end zone. So. I think Utah State has the weapons and has the right mindset going into a game like this where, look, Hawaii, you're not going to shut a team out like Hawaii. They're, they're going to get their points. Their guys are going to eat. But if you hold Hawaii to 14 
and you can match their explosive plays, you're probably going to win that game. Yeah, I think that's very well put. The one thing that I'm very disappointed about is our boy Calvin Tyler Jr. Yeah. broke his hand. He, he, he won't week. play. Yeah. I was really looking forward to the Calvin Tyler Jr. versus Calvin Turner Jr. Bowl. Yeah. I was hoping no, that, that would have been sweet. I was hoping yeah, that both right. of them would just pop off for 100 plus rushing yard games yeah. and it would just be Calvin Turner, Calvin Tyler, both juniors. I, it just was poetic and I was yeah, excited it was meant for it. To be, but now he's not playing. So it's okay. I, it'll make it'll hurt. make our job so much easier on Monday when I don't have to talk about Calvin Tyler and Calvin Turner. Turner Jr. Um so, so you're it, having a, you're having a hard time even it, now. Yeah, so, it, I mean, I'm having a hard time now. Like it, it'll make my job a lot easier on Monday after we play these guys. And I know Scotty G, uh, doing the radio will probably really appreciate it. So Calvin Tyler Jr. for the Aggies is taking over for the team really. Um, and that and that being said, Calvin Tyler Jr. on on a on an actual note, um, has been the bell cow running back all year long. Uh, didn't play against Colorado State and Elian Noah stepped up and was able to pick up big yards on. You know, being relied on pretty heavily. Palate Makakona as well yep. saw an increased usage rate in, in that game. Um, and John Gentry was as, as reliable as ever. So you did see guys step up. And so Calvin Tyler Jr., where while it does hurt to have him out, uh, and we, you know, wish him a speedy recovery, Utah State has that next man up attitude yep. where, uh, you know, just because one guy's out doesn't mean the whole team has to suffer. And I love that attitude with this team. And I'm gonna take it one step further. I didn't see last year. I'm gonna take it one step further. I think Noah just won himself the starting job last week. He's the he's not quite as fast as Tyler, but he finds a way forward. He breaks yep. tackles. He just runs downhill and yeah. gets yards, and that's yeah. something that he does better than any of the other running backs. So I bet. Yeah. Even when we're gonna see him a lot still. Even when Tyler gets back, he'll still play a big role, but. I would not be surprised if it's Noah the rest of the year being the guy with the most carries. Yeah. No, I wouldn't be surprised with that either. Um, both have been great. And, you know, we, we talked about it early on in the season. You know, there was – you know, there, there's no there's no harm in having two talented kids as long as you can find a way to use them both. So, I, I think we're going to see uh, both. And Makakona is probably going to settle into that second tier where he wasn't having as many carries early on. Um, but he's, he's kind of proved himself in his absence as well, kind of stepping up into that number two role. I think I mean he's going to stay there for the rest of the season, so I think I think we're just seeing more more offensive weapons emerge as as time goes on. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's all I have for this Hawaii game. I'm I'm really excited. Um, you know, you threw out the prediction win by two scores. I think that's probably possible. Um, I think we I think we handled the Rainbow Warriors pretty well. Um, I'm confident in this game. Um, anything on this, or should we take a look at the what's going on in the rest of the conference? Let's take a glance at the rest of the conference. Take a look. This week, kicking off Mountain West football for us is UNLV and Nevada. It's going to happen on Friday the 29th. I got a prediction for that. Okay, let's hear it. Remember you were talking about before the UNLV game, there's going to be a point in the season when UNLV realizes they suck. You think this is now? I think this is now. I think the fact that they didn't win last week against San Jose State. Oh, wasn't that brutal? Now they're going on the road to Reno. The UNR and UNLV, I used to live in Vegas. Um, it's not a great college sports state, but those two schools still hate each other. Yeah. And there have been fights yeah. and there have been yep. crap. UNR is <laughs> the better team and they're going to be looking for blood. Well, that's where the, the nickname Rebels comes from. UNLV, they're the Rebels because when they broke off from the UNR system, like they were part of the same system, university system, and they broke off and called themselves the Rebels. 
rebelling against the wolf pack. Like that's where they come is from. That, so is that legit or is that's, that partly? That's, that's legit. That's legit. Yo, that's, so that's dope. There's, there's definitely bad blood between those two teams. Um, UNR is going to make them break. And this, I, I do think game. I do it's think Nevada wins that game. It's going to be a sad I don't, tale. I don't know, though. I think UNLV, with their first-year head coach and with the way they've lost some of these games, I still think they, they're going to get a win uh, later on in the season. I, I don't think they're going to just break this season. I really – and I hope they do. I hope they get a win. Um, it's not good when the, the conference has winless teams, so hopefully they pick some uh, – hopefully they pick up a game eventually. Um, moving on to Saturday, we, we mentioned Hawaii and Utah State playing on Saturday. Uh, we also have Wyoming playing San Jose State that day, as well as Boise State playing Colorado State and Fresno playing San Diego State. So those are – that's a slate of games um, for the Mountain West. Jacob, what's your must-watch of, you know, outside of Utah State, Hawaii? Uh, what, what do you think is, like, your must-watch? What's going to be one of the bigger matchups? Well, I mean, it's got it. There's two really, really good games on the yeah. docket this week, yeah. and I think the biggest one is Fresno and San Diego State. Couldn't just agree more. They, I, I was I, say those are the two best teams in the conference. Fresno proved that by beating Nevada, I believe, that they maybe you could say Air Force is better, but they have that marquee non-conference with over yeah. UCLA. Yep. So now they go, they take on the Aztecs. That game – that's going to be a doozy. We'll see if the Aztecs can uh, stand That's going to be a good it. one. That's two tough tests in a week for San Diego State. Um, San Diego State playing Air Force last week, who has a bye this week. Um, yeah, two tough weeks in a row playing Fresno. I was going to say the same thing. I think that's a, that's a really huge game. Um, I think Boise-Colorado State is another huge one. It might be the biggest game left in the, the Mountain Division. It might be. But also Wyoming-San Jose is going to be really interesting because those – as we have a smaller and smaller list and a shrinking list of future opponents, those are two teams that we still play. I think that's the one I'm most interested in just because I want to see what happens. Those are also two teams that I've continually said that I just can't figure out. And mm -hmm. so I love when teams like that play each other. I think it's going to be telling. So that game is going to be really interesting for us. It's going to give us a lot of information, but i got to go with Boise State, Colorado State. I think that one's going to have the entertainment factor. Um, I think we have... I, th I think that's just going to be a better matchup. And uh, hopefully, you know, if Boise State wins that game, then suddenly Utah State starts to have some breathing room because everyone else in the division has two losses. So not that I'm planning on Utah State losing another game all year, but uh, it is interesting how this is shaping up in the Mountain Division. You ready for my score predictions? I'm just going to rapid fire. I want to hear them. And I'm not going to do them. So you're, you're, you're closing the show with this. So go for it. Nevada's going to beat UNLV 42-10. to Utah State's going to beat Hawaii 31 217 San Jose State's going to pants Wyoming. They 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 don't have an offense. Wyoming they they, they don't they got a, don't got an offense. It's going to be 24 to 3. And then Boise State is going to lose to the Rams. The Rams are going to take them down in Fort Collins 24-17 and then Fresno is going to go down to San Diego State and lose. San Diego State the Aztecs will stay undefeated. They're going to win that game 17 to 9. Wow. Yeah. Well done. There you go. You heard it here first. Get your tickets for the Hawaii game. Pack the Mav. Go Aggies.